right, so 2021 decided that it needed to upstage 2020 as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. as per the latest news from Texas. What, what's happening in Texas? Yeah. A child was apparently abducted by Chucky, a 28-year-old male with red or auburn hair and blue eyes who stands three feet and one inches tall. Um, his race is given as other doll. Um, he weighs 16 pounds, wears blue denim overalls, and is wielding a huge kitchen knife. Wait, 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 wait. Are we... Can we check um, the source? Is that the onion? <laughs> nope. That's real. Not, okay, my question is, when did the onion riders... Uh, kill the demiurge and take over the loom of reality. Uh, they didn't actually. Um, it was a test. Um, you were not. Uh, they were. Nobody was supposed to like see this publicly. Um, there's usually there's like some sort of test data you have loaded when you're trying to like figure out. Um. Is this system working? Um, and when you don't want to like populate it with real data, um, because you know privacy, security concerns, um, it's just easier to populate it with something dumb like this. Except that somebody uh, pushed this to production. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and now. Um, People are getting alerts for a movie that is almost as old as I am. <laughs> Honestly, can you just can you just imagine going, somebody guys. Like, really scared by horror movies, especially like have like a you know you're scared of dolls, like the creepy looking dolls. Because dolls can look very creepy. And then like you eat and you live in Texas and you get this alert on your on your phone that oh, Tucky is on a rampage throughout Texas. He's missing and we can't find him. Like, even though, like, you know, most people are going are, are gonna to take that seriously. I know if I were in those shoes, <laughs> m- my brain would be like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. This is the bad place. <laughs> yeah. 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 This, like, this is bringing back memories of that time and 2016 when there was that whole weird clown shit going on. Mm-hmm. Like, the fuck? This yeah. is the reality we live in, I guess. Um, where we don't just get, you know, stupidity on the part of public officials, but really spectacularly entertaining stupidity. Honestly, one of the most mm. entertaining and terrifying times to be like reporting on this stuff right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wow. So, yeah, this is Chop Shop Economics. We read this shit so you don't have to. I'm Miss Silver. Uh, with me today are. Uh, Dr. And Spider. Professor Quinn. <laughs> ah, good to see you've defended your thesis, Dr. Quinn. Can you, can, you, uh, um, can you elaborate what you think my thesis is, what you think it is? And what are your thoughts on it? Do you have any input, any critique? I mean, it is really funny that everything is just going mad. (laughs) It is is fucking hilarious. (sighs) We we live in the year of the dangerous clown. We live in the year of the clown raccoon. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. The age of TV show hosts getting what they fucking deserve. Gah. So. Yeah. It's 
So, in top economic news, <clears throat> this is probably not news, honestly, but Jeff Bezos is no longer CEO of Amazon. Um, <laughs> Right, bye bye, Bozo. Um, well, yeah, he's not gone. Well, not really. He's pulling the same move. Oh, I wish, but he's pulling the same move that Rupert yeah, Murdoch and Bill honestly, Gates did. It's just like I'm no longer CEO. It's like a de-jur acknowledgement of like the de facto situation that's been around for a long time. But also, if we believe it in our hearts enough, we can say. Bye bye, Bozo. You have to, but we have to make him say goodbye. Yeah, I mean, it's like he's stepping down to take a position on the executive board. Which, between that and the fact that you know he still has a controlling position, it's like, what the fuck does it even matter? And the guy who's taking over as CEO was like a long time partner of his at Amazon is like the <laughs> second largest individual holder of Amazon stock. I, mean, I feel like the most like relevant mm-hmm. thing about this is that the guy taking over was heading AWS for a long time, which is the cloud computing part of Amazon. And frankly, that's where they make most of their money. Oh yeah, like AWS is like insanely profitable, and it's basically how the cloud cartel in the United States works. Um, it's not a you know true cartel because technically there are independent data centers, um, but it is absolutely. I mean, they're bring in like what Cory Doctorow said. I mean, that's how part they, of it they got do the kicked same off. thing of like. The, um, the hourglass approach of spying on both their supply chain and on their customers in order to have the cartel. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. It's like at this point, Amazon really is a cloud computing hosting service that's disguised as an online retailer. Mm-hmm. So they get you coming and going. Um, God. And, of course, most of this is so that he can start, like, you know, washing his reputation like Gates tried to do. Which, I mean, that sort of succeeded until, like, you know, the, um, conspiracy theorist guys got a hold of him. Um, and now he's being dragged through the mud for real and perceived crimes. May that be the fate of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> That'd be nice. Um, but yeah, on to actual news. Oh yeah. The Bureau of Labor Statistics has dropped their new report. And mm. it's still really bad. Yeah. Um, so the numbers that they'll admit to as far as like job growth, 49,000 new jobs. Um, they're saying the long-term unemployment rate is looking bad. And quite frankly, given the EPR numbers, I can't what's believe that, Miss Silver? What's that calculation it's... you've done to figure out what the real unemployment number is based off of like subtracting from the EPR numbers? Um... At least as close as one can get to a real number. This is yeah. our estimate. So I I'm not even sure I really like using that number anymore. I think that looking at the raw EPR itself is pretty instructive um, because, okay, so EPR, uh, Employment Population Ratio, 
uh, we'll go over it again for the new listeners. Um, basically, this is the number of people who are of age to work in the labor force who are actually participating on some level. Um, now, of course, this is a very raw number. This isn't, obviously, it doesn't tell the full story. But typically, when the economy is functioning, it's somewhere around 65%. Um, like, a good chunk of that is taken up by disabled people, by um, married women homemakers, um, and several other categories of people who are technically in the labor force but would not be considered part of the labor force in reality. Um, but as like a raw number, it is useful to track because it kind of gives you a sense of what, what sort of... Um, employment numbers are possible. And at the beginning of this crisis, it crashed from somewhere around um, 62% to 51. But Ms. Silver, I thought we were in. I thought, um, you know, we had recovered. Are you telling me our economy had not recovered? Are you telling me that the free market fairy is disappointed in all of us? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Um, basically, um, over the last couple of months, we have recovered to, and this is the current number as of January, the numbers recently dropped. So, um, among other numbers, we got, you know, the current EPR, and the current EPR is 57.5%. Um, that is still worse than the trough of the Great Recession, um, which was 58.3%. Um, we have actually hit that figure a few times since, like in 2013, but overall, it's, you know, trended back up to, like, the 60, like, when this crisis started in February, it was 61.1. And in um, December of 2006, before, you know, the bottom fell out of the economy, it was around 63.4%. And then it started falling as, you know, everything went to shit. So can you do some comparison for me? So, um, how are the numbers compared to, like, the Great Recession? And let's say, let's say the Great Depression. Like, how does it stack up? Um, that's a good question. Like, compared to the Great Recession, we're still doing worse. Um... The part of the problem is that they don't they don't track that historically. Um, I only have what's available to me through the tool, um, but it's like it's worth noting that we have never done better than when this data set starts, which is in. January 2001 at 64.4%. Um, like, keeping in mind, like, some of this does include things like retirees, children, and all of that, but once you factor those things out, it's still oh, yeah. pretty bleak. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, this is, this is the raw number. Um, it's still worth keeping track of because it it kind of tells us like you know what the raw labor force participation is but of course what it doesn't tell us is you know things like are they underemployed um are they retirees are they um disabled the, those kinds of things don't really show up in this 
this data, but it's worth keeping an eye on the EPR simply because it's a lot easier to make sense of. Um, and it shows, frankly, it shows like actual lift trends a lot more realistically than um, other measures where you've got technical low un unemployment, but structurally uh, not Dorris, so much. How, um, Does that make sense? Uh, during, let's say, uh, 1930, how many people were there in the United States? I don't know that offhand. Um... <laughs> I mean, it's like if let's let me cut that because I think this is this is also getting a little in the weeds. Um, so why, yeah, and, and the reason this number is especially worrying is because it does kind of blow apart the official unemployment rate, which is still something absurd, like what is it, 6.5% or something, officially. Um, and, yeah, that's a thing. That's also a thing that's, like, massaged through things like dropping discouraged workers, which is anyone who's been unemployed for too long, or has been on uh, unemployment benefits for too long, or, you know, is doesn't like take into account things like underemployment or all kinds of other shit so that when you actually like, take out the massaging it gets a lot closer to you know knocking off large like knocking off like kids and retirees and um disabled people so that you get something closer to reality yeah <clears throat> i mean it's Mostly the reason I like the EPR is because it shows you, like, uh, certain things that, like, don't normally come up in the statistics, like, you know, what rural unemployment, um, rural ability to, like, self-sustain um, actually looks like, as opposed to, well, you know. The official stuff, but I mean, it does hide its own, you know, sorts of problems. <sighs> what I can say is, like, this is not good. The fact that it's, like, stagnant is, no, that's not good at all. And it's definitely significantly worse than this whole double dip fantasy that they're promoting. Oh, yeah. Like, the lockdown kind of, it did, you know, drastically drop the EPR for obvious reasons. And while there was inevitably going to be some recovery as, like, the lockdowns started to lift, but, you know, the lockdowns... <sighs> They largely did not work because they were not stuck to. There was no, you know, federal response to making such a thing work. It was all just, um, I guess you can lock down, but, you know, we're not going to help you. Um, Y'all can get fucked. Um, that was, that was basically the response. <laughs> and... So it's like, of course things are still bad. People are technically able to return to work now, but <sighs> what the fuck? <sighs> I mean, yeah, it's just, it's fucked. So I guess that leads us into um, plague news, doesn't it? Well, we got one thing sort of as a watch the space thing. Um... The governor of Nevada has proposed allowing for the creation of what would effectively be company towns as a way of attracting business and tech interests to his state, whose economy is 
completely in the shitter thanks to the collapse of tourism and effectively putting most of Vegas on the unemployment rolls. Um, as from what we can see so far in the proposal, these towns would be allowed to base like companies would be allowed to buy chunks of land and create their own municipalities set up um like police emergency services and schools and impose taxes so uh can can anybody tell me what very briefly what the like background story for a shadow run is i don't i don't know it's coincidentally coming to mind right now I think there was like a Supreme Court ruling that granted corporations extraterritoriality, which yeah. sounds a lot like this. Yeah, this is basically the Shia Wise decision, or at least I mean, to one be fair, it probably is going to go to the Supreme um, Court. We haven't gotten the one where, I mean, we haven't gotten the one where it's now legal for corporate security to shoot you, um, but I guess that's only a matter of time. Um, give it a food rider too. Um, then we'll see, um, you know, some real bullshit from Shadowrun come down. Or we might be in for, uh, Cyberpunk, where, um, the Gang of Four, the IRS, no, not the IRS, the ATF, the DEA, the CIA, and NSA basically take over the government. Um... If you're asking how that's different from now, uh, it's that they fucked up and ended up fighting a war with the Department of Defense. And Whoops. in the aftermath, um, yeah, there were like 170 million Americans left um, when there was supposed to be like, you know, a 200, it's 250. It's a good thing we don't have any, like, the, the 90s were not very good. <laughs> national security state they're trying to overthrow the government or anything. No, not at all. Completely fine. Everything is normal. There is no war in Boston. Yeah, State. yeah. Like... <laughs> totally. Like, my, my feeling about this um, after having played Cyberpunk 2077 and read, you know, a good chunk of the cyberpunk source books i would say that mike pondsmith had the right idea he was just about mm, 30 years too early that's about right to y'all yeah 2024 watch this space <laughs> yeah it, just watch so yeah we're gonna be keeping an eye on this one which gets us to the top of the covid shit <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, y'all might have heard me bitching about how I can't go back to school. Because, well, most people can't hack remote learning. It sucks ass. And the only reason people put up with it is because they are literal teenagers, literal children, and they do not have the right to refuse. So if you're wondering why I bring this up, it's because it's not just me. Um, would either of you care to get into it? So the short version is the like colleges and universities pretty much everywhere have been forced to shift back like to a remote learning platform because of covid mm -hmm. sure everybody knows about it y'all have experienced it in some way or another but what that's done is it's led to plummeting enrollments it has also meant that colleges that have like say used existing real estate to conduct expansion before covid are now losing revenues on things like dorm rooms um in fact uh my university back at the uk was one of many 
who uh, forced underclassmen to go into incredibly COVID unsafe dorms um, because turned out they needed those dorm fees to pay for oh, also, their bad debts. Um, briefly about the UK, um, for As a lot do. of uh, a lot of colleges there, you just do an apprenticeship, and uh, that's like a requirement in order to graduate for a lot of for a lot of colleges. And there's a number of um, degree of like you know degree programs where the students, because they're not able to safely do these apprenticeships, they're not able to graduate. Yeah. So, but more generally, that's what we've been just seeing across the board. And universities have responded by doing what they usually do, which is slash everything no. but the administrative budget. Um. Even Kansas has gone so far as to suspend tenure. Just full stop. That thing that's supposed to protect your job, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So, Um, it's only supposed to be for a year, but we all know how temporary measures to, you know, enhance security, enhance the bottom line, enhance da-da-da... They somehow become permanent. And that's what's probably going to happen here. Yeah. And that's been happening everywhere. Like, we're seeing, like, particularly community colleges are being devastated because their enrollments are plummeting. Um, like, something like 40, 40%, 40%, 40% of American students college students go through community colleges because it's more flexible it's a lot cheaper um that's why i did it way to yeah i did like to get your degree done it's and now because and a lot of people that are in community colleges work during the daytime especially now we're talking like you know essential workers who are facing unclear inconsistent circumstances um, and others who are basically just saying, fuck it, I can't afford to or don't have the time or the headspace to go back. And community colleges in particular are getting nailed by this. Ooh. It's, yeah. So higher education is basically being shoved through austerity in part because there hasn't been any funding allocated as like, or at least nowhere near enough to bail out these institutions and because again it's administrators to the lifeboats first fuck everybody else let's say like this like pandemic continues for a while like i mean i know there's like vaccines but we're seeing strains with increased vaccine resistance um that are like more infectious what happens if this vaccine continues and like online classes have to continue what happens to the college Another, another yeah, year of this? Speaking. Good God. They'd need a bailout. Yeah. And they're not Wall Street, so... <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, I could see, like, measures like... Um, I mean, if they really wanted to stop the bleeding, it would probably be something like um, mandatory vaccinations. Um, to return to in-person like learning. It's almost like you need to vaccinate teachers or something. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's, you know, you would think that this would be a common sense policy. Yeah. Right? But, uh, you know, what did uh, the head of the, um, the CDC just say about that? Oh, they, they walked back. They're cool with schools reopening without everybody being vaccinated first. So I guess... Yeah. Like with like you know, teachers don't need vaccines. People who work around small children who are known to be a significant factor of disease, including this disease. That's not a problem. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like without COVID, people who work with um K through twelve kids, students always get the latest and greatest in designer bugs every flu season. Wow, what, yeah. what an incredible Normally. opportunity to beta test the latest 
in like you know natural biological weaponry i mean don't you think teachers should be honored to be able to live that experience like they, they are the beta testers i am so amazed you know for their sacrifice to the free market fairy, you know pour in the blood god demands their skulls or his throne well, actually no this is more nurgle but you know nurgle is embracing teachers into his loving hands to his loving grace all hail the plague father So what's uh, happening in uh, Chicago, just out of curiosity? Oh, that actually gets us to some really good shit. <sighs> so, okay, sound cue played. So, the Chicago Teachers Union has solidly voted to strike, specifically over reopening plans. Mm-hmm. And in response, a certain right-wing law firm is representing a group of parents who are threatening to sue the union for a contract violation. The Liberty Justice Center is leading the charge. The same bastards who got you the Janus v. Ask, Ask Me suit that gutted labor rights. Fuck. So, what do these... What do these schools want? They want the schools to stay open and the teachers to go back to work. So they're going to sue them to so force they, them to me, do that. Let me get this right. I need to put my house hat on. On so what you're telling me is that these uh these uh you know Bruce Wayne's want to sue teachers so they are forced to catch a plague and die. With no vaccinations or anything. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they're also trying to do the same thing in Fairfax County, Virginia, and a number of other places where teachers are doing things like sick outs and other actions to frustrate um, these kind of really dangerous policies. It's like in Fairfax, um, the school board wanted to bring back, um, they wanted to bring back the kids uh, for hybrid learning uh, March 16th. And the union, so far, like 65% of them have their first dose. They want to wait until um, all of the teachers have their second dose in. And that's entirely reasonable, I think. But, of course, you know, it's Fairfax County. You know, it's where a lot of these, um, you know, Washington ghouls live. And they know what buttons to push to get the... um, to basically get the state to fold and order them back to work, back to the pandemic killing fields. Okay, so uh, my big question it. about this is like, I find like this is like the big one of the big like gaps in sort of like the Biden administration's like policy towards labor so far is like you know otherwise they've been like the most like progressive towards like the labor movement since like LBJ, like Lyndon B. Johnson. But that doesn't necessarily apply to teachers. Like, they've, it's been a lot more, you need to die for the sake of blessed grandfather Nurgle, because our, our, our kids need to learn. And keep in mind, like, if teachers are dying of, like, the plague, it's not just, you know, the teachers are going to start dying. It's going to be kids. It's going to be those, those kids' families. 
going to be like the working staff at schools, like the administration staff. Like this is this won't just be confined to like teachers. Like in the same way that you know, people being forced to work in the pandemic has been one of the main drivers in spreading you know, spreading COVID nineteen around. This is going to be. This is going to be another main driver. Like, you think it's bad now? Just wait till like children are forced to go back to school. If you want to look to see what's going to happen, look to Sweden. It's going to be horrific. But for some somewhat better uh, labor-related news, the uh, Amazon uh, appealed to the federal government to delay union elections on the grounds of COVID-19 makes voting on unionizing one of our biggest fact like facilities in Alabama that's critical for our logistics would be bad, even though they've been, you know, hurting everyone into those same plague killing fields, not mm-hmm. even giving a fuck. But now it's a union, so it's bad. So they went to the feds and the feds went, that's funny. No. <laughs> The vote goes ahead. And apparently the Biden administration has taken a very direct interest in this particular union vote. Why? Okay, my question here is why, why, like, why compared to like previous presidents, why is the Biden administration so pro-labor, except for teachers, but like, why are they so pro-labor otherwise? Like, what's different here? What has changed? I, I think it's entirely because of the one positive of Joe Biden being old enough to remember George Washington's inauguration is that he also, when he first was coming into the Senate was coming of age when organized labor was still the muscle of the democratic party in the way that the Christian right is the muscle of the GOP. Now Mm -hmm. Um, he remembers when unions could actually break politicians and, make the democratic party a dominant force so, in what you're basically implying here is mm-hmm. in the same way that like you know shit lids are stuck in what are living in like this virtual reality of west wing and cultists are living in the virtual reality of a tom clancy right wing techno thriller novel joe biden still thinks he lives in like the fdr like new deal coalition era he lives in that like you know that one asked me commercial that got redubbed um so that was you know like awesome <laughs> y'all remember that one yeah um he lives in that that's where he lives <laughs> it's yeah he remembers when labor was was muscular and he has been in spite of everything else he's done, somewhat pro labor, mm-hmm. in towards like the end of his time in the Senate and while he was VP, um, like he's vocally supported car check. He was probably like a close second behind Bernie Sanders in head to head polling among union voters. Um, and for once, it actually seems justified like he actually seems to be serious about it and i think it's because on some level he's like well the democratic party's getting pasted because we don't have unions i remember when the democratic party had unions so let's make unions Mm. like i'm not sure there's any deeper calculus going on than that but i think that's what the line of thought is so I guess my question here before like we move on is like before like I'm ready to move on, um, is what happens when you're seeing these like failures within like with electoral politics, but you're seeing the labor movement start to get stronger? Like, you know, draw me a line. Like, where does this lead exactly? When electoral politics is failing, but labor when the labor movement is starting to succeed more and more. That can get very interesting. There's a lot of places that can go. Um, Like, at the minimum, it leads to the New Deal on steroids. Because that was basically how Roosevelt got the New Deal, was by dragging 
congressional leaders into his office and saying, you give me what I want or those people out in the street will take it from you at gunpoint. But, you know, it can go a lot further than that. <laughs> you know, how, how further could it go? Just hypothetically speaking, I'm just curious. Does it, would this please uh, my persona, Harley Quinn? Would this be the year? Not just Harley Quinn. Does this lead us to the year of fame? Maybe not this year. But, you know, it could. Like, if, like... Biden seriously continue basically follows through with the signals he's been sending so far as far as the labor movement's concerned and you know purging Trump appointees from the Department of Labor something fierce um you know if he continues on his current trajectory then we might see labor membership explode in the near future and I will like you know I will give him the very tepid props for that where I want that to go is totally different from where he wants it to go, but, you know. That would be, like, the one thing I would say was, Biden, you did a good. Unambiguously. Mm-hmm. Here's your gold star. Like I, I dislike <laughs> Biden for a lot of other reasons, but as long as the labor movement gets much stronger and is, you know, given cover by like the Biden administration to get stronger stronger and as long as the um you know Biden continues to distance the United States from the Tory government in the UK I will be very happy yeah he is so far shaping up to be the best president on labor since LBJ which you know says a lot of things both how low the bar is, and that he's clearing it. Maybe. He's still got room to stumble. Sleepy Joe is, you know, making some moves, so all workers can be more sleepy. Sleepy Joe says nap time for workers. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Well, that gets us to the fucking casino land. What about? So, first big one. Germany, thanks to completely fucking up Wirecard <coughs> every way possible, is now talking about, like, seriously overhauling their mess of that is the financial regulatory system that's a huge move Mm. like that doesn't have have implications for like for germany but that has implications really the entire like european union financial system because german like the german like bankers have a huge influence on like eu-wide financial policy And, you know, it's, like, in fairness, there are folks on the left in Germany who are criticizing it, like members of Der Link, as well as the Green Party, are saying, you know, this is a good start, but this is not enough. Um, And you could definitely make certain critiques along those lines. But yeah, this is going to be really fun for European finance, especially since there's a lot of previously British banks who are now jumping ship for Frankfurt and Dublin. Brexit means bank exit. Brexit means capital flight. Brexit means Brexit. Ah, Brexit. The gift that keeps on giving. And speaking of, Wall Street has, so it seems, adjusted to Wall Street bets. Or at least is trying to. So, short version, 
Um, a lot of Wall Street firms, particularly as reported in CNN, uh, them Alternative Data, are looking for algorithm and data solutions so that they can track social media buzz, particularly watch Wall Street bets, and try to get ahead of like a future um, Wall Street bets GameStop moonshot, as they do. And yeah, it. What were we gonna say, Doc? Um. Do, yeah, um okay, so yeah, it's no, interesting. Like in the last, like, mm, in the last like five days, like the GameStop stock has been uh, leading heavily because of there being like a lot of like trade restrictions on how much retail investors could put into GameStop. But recently, what I find incredibly interesting is that the. Uh, like Robinhood lifted their uh, limitations on how much stock uh, traders could buy, and the price of GameStop is starting to stabilize, like around sixty dollars right now. And it doesn't look like it does. It looks like it's not going to bleed any further. So either it's going to stay at this price, or it's going to go back up. And it's you know we. I mean, it's hard to say so much is in flux right now, but we either might see it just stabilize at. 60 for a while until crashing or wall street bets and you know the clown raccoon hive mind might have some more chaos again hard to say but um we're in an interesting transition point yeah and this is you know not the first time wall street has done this kind of thing to adjust um they are very fond of finding data and automated solutions to market volatility um and really every single modern financial instrument that's kind of wreaking havoc like you know half of the derivatives market for example um started as we need this thing to protect ourselves against volatility in the marketplace always did like swaps were there to protect liquidity oh, over that fact, um, how, how i guess that this intention was to like a derivative was to protect against volatility but um hasn't it made the market much more volatile they just made more Oh yeah, they, these have led to like more market volatility. Like whether you're talking swaps or syndicated loans or um, and like international syndication rather, um, or any of these other different like financial innovations since the mid '70s on, is they were all meant to protect against volatility that was induced by changing market conditions, and those changing market conditions were increasingly because of these new instruments and what they were doing. So, you know, let's just do it again. Because there's no way that algorithms and high-frequency trading haven't, you know, already created Wall Street volatility and one-day crashes. It's kind of funny is, I mean, there is a possibility that we could see unfolding from this is that in their attempt to try to save off, like, the structural damage to Wall Street, it only makes the market much more volatile. Which, to be fair, as Harley Quinn, extremely fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. It's definitely going to be not boring for a while. Um, and speaking of losses... We get all kinds of fun coming from the oil industry. My favorite kind of fun. Wait, what's wrong with the olive oil industry? Am I going to have a hard time getting, like, olive oil for cooking? So, what we've got now is on the heels of, you know, the thing that we call the death of oil, um... Check it out. It's a, one of our Chop Shop Report specials, um, always freely available to the public. Um, the oil industry has been taking it in the teeth since the beginning of the COVID crash. And now they've posted their numbers for the year. 
Uh, yeah. Miss Silver, would you like to <laughs> go into some of what just happened in there? Oh, wow. So, BP really ate shit. Um, so, in 2019, um, when the 2019 fiscal <coughs> year um, finished up, they had a net profit of $10 billion. You know, pretty respectable money for a one of the petro majors. This year... Um, they posted a full year underlying replacement cost loss, which is a pretty decent proxy for, um, you know, net profit or loss of $5.7 billion. So not only did they make, not make their usual profits of, you know, a few billion, um, they lost a few billion (laughs) like just over the year they just lost they just completely took the L it's it's amazing and of course the um, the uh, the BP CEO is like oh well this is (coughs) a challenge and you know our business is performing really well um, we got our debt cut down, but we got fucked by demand, basically. <laughs> um, and let's see, who else had to take a bath? Um, oh, yeah. Chevron. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exxon took... And L to the tune of twenty-two billion. Um, and <laughs> I mean, it's like, and this came up like, oh, I don't know, about last <coughs> week or so. We didn't really, I don't think we really bothered reporting on it because it didn't seem important or how now maybe we saw something more interesting but chevron and exxon were in talks for for merging last year because of how bad things were and given that the industry is like already heavily consolidated um further mergers are kind of an ambition of weakness an emission of mutual weakness in the field, if that makes sense. It's basically cannibalism at this point. Yes. And it's just, oh my god. Like, everyone, everyone took an L this year, um, this past year. It's... Who had uh, the return of Standard Oil on their bingo sheet for 2021? <laughs> Somewhere on there. Except, you know, it'd be the last stand of privately owned oil at that point. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, even the state-owned companies are taking the L, but... The private sector ones, like, oil is no longer a private sector business, and I I think the industry kind of needs to accept that at this point. It's just not going to work going forward. (laughs) So that kind of then brings us, speaking of shit not working, Mm -hmm. to uh, the damp turf island. Ah, yes, the rainy fascism island. How are they doing? Like, in our upcoming episode, we asked Milo this question, and, you know, so far, from, like, the average punter's perspective, things haven't totally fallen apart. There are shortages. And you're not allowed to import your ham sandwich anymore, but 
overall, things look fine, but that's masking some not very good numbers. Well, somebody should rip the mask oh, off. Harley <laughs> Quinn is going to rip the mask off. And what are the numbers? Mm-hmm. Like something like 40% of British companies engaging in Brexit-related trade, or rather anything with the EU, are <coughs> finding new regulations, new custom checks and everything to be a gigantic pain in the ass and costing them so, uh, quite a bit know, of money. Professor mm-hmm. Quindell has two questions. You know, I remember hearing a little book say that... Uh, the UK does not have enough agricultural industry in order to produce enough food for itself so that it has to import food from elsewhere. Uh, you know, uh, my question here is, are all these companies who bring food into the UK, are they having problems? And uh, my, my last question is, do people require food to live? Just throwing that out there. Well, uh, for yeah. that last one, yes. But that, that doesn't fit with my model of the human homo body econom- requires food. Economicus. Homo economicus? Yeah. Homo economicus. Like yeah. Um, since homo economicus is uh, like most economic homunculi um, based on the spherical um, inorganic cow. Um, (laughs) those don't actually need food um but humans need food are you telling me cows need food too when did my cows keep dying Mm -hmm. oh yeah totally so i mean we haven't quite hit that point yet but you know it's not a good sign when pretty much everybody who is involved in import export work in the UK is taking it on the chin and not doing so hot. And, you know, related to that, a semiconductor production shortage has forced Ford to <coughs> cut pickup production for the F-150 truck. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we talked about this during yesterday's pre-show. Um... So I should probably so get into it. What's the it a issue bit. with not um, as many cars are being made? Like I don't really care about like these like plastic hillbilly cars. Like, is there something more significant here? Like, what's newsworthy about this? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna get to that. So the problem is, is that TSMC and Samsung are basically hilariously oversubscribed. Um. Basically, everyone is having to buy chips from them because of the surge in demand for useful computers. Um, I mean, as you know, everyone has kind of transitioned to remote work, to um, needing to be able to video conference, to... um, using their mobile devices more often and all of that requires um that requires you to buy some wafers from tsmc or samsung um there's a couple other providers like global foundries um but typically what's happening is this is not like the old days where um it would be of like where car computers were very unsophisticated items. Um, you know, they were basically just like a half decent microcontroller with some fancy programming and a lambda sensor to tell it uh, to fiddle with the feel air timing and all that stuff. They are now way more complicated in part because of safety features, um, assisted driving features, things like that. All of that needs computing power, which means you need 
more sophisticated hardware. You can't just buy wafers from like one of the cheaper providers. You had to buy on like TSMC's seven nanometer node. And if you've been following tech at all, you know that everyone is using that node. I mean, even Intel, who is famous for not using anything but their own process technology, even they have admitted that they are going to have to buy time on TSMC's seven nanometer and five nanometer nodes, um, you know, for the foreseeable future until their seven nanometer process and their 10 nanometer processes both catch up. So it's a general shortage, basically. Um, Everyone is having to buy in all at once. And that means that if you want anything remotely sophisticated, and so, you know, it has to be on the latest node, um, the, you know, the smallest one for power efficiency and performance reasons, then... If everyone eats it, then no one gets it, basically. <laughs> so Yay, monopolies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is why you can't get a video card. This is why um, Ryzen chips are relatively expensive. Um, this is even why um, Intel is, like, not doing so hot with, like, their desktop processors. Because... It all just comes back down to this basic issue of there's there's a shortage of of well wafers that can be subscribed to. It's not like you know a bunch of plants just keeled over and died. No, the plants are working fine. Production is going. Like all of that stuff is all of that stuff is fine. The problem is is that everyone is trying to get in and that means nobody gets in if that makes sense so it's uh, like uh, in Simpsons where the viruses can't get in like, all the way in that like rich dude because they're stuck in the door so what you're telling me is everyone's stuck in the door yes <laughs> yes basically everyone is stuck in the door and eventually they'll be able to pull some of the smaller customers through and, you know, eventually they'll relieve the bottleneck and um, they'll be, you know, less heavily subscribed and, you know, the shortage will ease. But if you're a customer that's waiting for this downstream product, that means you're screwed. Because it's not like a compact car with, um, you know that you pay like 10,000 bucks for and it's, you know, a total piece of garbage has no brains in it at all. Um, all I'm saying is my favorite car is like a that's <laughs> Yeah, but no. I think one... that brings us to our last word. Uh... So <laughs> So you're probably seeing all this stuff about how we're in and maybe entering a double dip recession. And we kind of dunked on that a little bit before. And what that means is the economy goes down, then it rebounds a bit, and then it dives back down again, usually worse than the first time. And it's the kind of thing that policymakers and economists really don't like seeing. And, you know, that would be an accurate depiction of our circumstances if you know we ever had a meaningful recovery in the first place yeah this feels like um shall we say a long-term dead cat bounce like that spike in the epr is just a dead cat bounce (laughs) um and you know like all of this supposed recovery like, oh my god, the narratives would be completely, utterly insufferable if we had Twitter back during the Great Depression. Because economists would be trying to convince you, no, no, it's just a recession. We, 
we're double dipping, we're triple dipping, but it's all just the same recession. There is no depression here. And it's a K-shaped recovery. Uh-huh. Things like that. And it's starting to look like I mean, it's not no, the that's not the case. Recovery. It's a KKK shaped recovery because when you, when you look at sort of like racial disparities and wealth, like with what's happened with this like economic collapse is like, you know, white rich people are getting much richer and a lot of like, you know, black people like especially, you know, are getting like are getting more poor and like you know, and formerly middle class, like, black people are getting poorer, too. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. The, any illusion of this being somehow, a like, an economy and recovery is like, farcical. And anyone who's seriously saying that we ever rebounded in the first place when the numbers in the real economy stayed pretty dog shit the whole year is yeah that this is like the only part that's true is what's coming is probably going to be when the bottom really starts to get and like people kind of think that like right now we're in the basement but no we're not in the basement like which technically we are but there are sub levels below the basement and the wood is rotting and the i don't know about you but i hear the wood creaking quite a bit a little too much beneath beneath our feet Mm-hmm. So yeah, hold on tight and get ready for the next drop because Congress is taking their time and there's the fundamentals are yeah, gone. Yeah. So I guess that's all of it. And I, if you're British, I guess that's pretty much calm, it here. Learn to photosynthesize. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was Chop Shop of Economics. We read this shit so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Good luck out there. Bye, everyone.